The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Any Celtics fans? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. All right. Probably the most dramatic final five, three seconds I've ever seen in a basketball game and maybe ever will see. Um, yeah, really stressful. I just, I don't know. I should have, like, part of me was, uh, sorry, if you're not a sports fan, I'm sorry we're starting off with this. Um, but part of me was like, man, less than four minutes left in the fourth quarter. We're up by 10. This is classic Celtics lose scenario. Um, but that didn't happen, and I'm glad it didn't happen. Uh, so, like Mark said, my, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors on staff at City on the Hill Brookline. Uh, I'm going to be back with you guys. I think I was here last March, and I think at this point I'm here like once every two to three months. So, it's great to always like touch base and just see how you're doing, and um, just really great to be with you guys. Uh, if you're newer here, or this is kind of your first time, uh, I, I know that coming to a church, even if you consider yourself a Christian, can be something that can bring about a lot of anxiety, a lot of kind of unknowns or some questions, and I just want to say, like, we're really glad you're here. Uh, I'm really glad you're here. I hope you find it comforting and welcoming, and, and I hope above all that, that God meets you in a very real um, and tangible way uh, today, and, and, and I think, and I pray, and I, I know that he will. Um, so this past Friday, uh, I woke up pretty early to kind of finish up this sermon, um, and if you know me, uh, you know that like I'm really bad at like just kind of working in an office setting, like I need to go and, and be in coffee uh, shops or go to various places, and so Woke up early and decided to go work from Thinking Cup um, in the north end. Uh, so I biked from Brookline down to Thinking Cup in the north end, and it was super early, and uh, I was one of the first people there. And I was there kind of all morning into the afternoon. And it was really interesting just observing, like, wave after wave, the different kind of, like, people that would come through. So um, one of the first people there, uh, there are some other people there, but these were all, like, the early morning people that were just kind of like the paper readers, if you know what I mean, that kind of kept to themselves, there was no one sharing a table, they were by themselves reading, just kind of like enjoying their morning. There's, there's something actually kind of envious about it. I was like, don't you, I guess this is what you do. I don't know, maybe this is what you do. Uh, so that was kind of the first wave of people. The second wave of people was the, like on the way to workers, um, right? They get their cup of coffee to go, they get their pastry to go, and they don't really interact with anyone, and maybe they're kind of scrolling on their phone, and they get their order, and they, they leave. And then the third wave of people is like tourists, uh, because it's that time of year and it's that kind of weekend. And so 
Um, the tourists all kind of came through. And then the last wave was super interesting. It was kind of people that I really think were like local, like local to the north end, um, but at very, the very least like local New, Englander, New Englanders, local Bostonians, I could tell because of their accent. Um, and so you can imagine the wide range of discussion, discussion, like as I'm sitting there working and just kind of like listening, I didn't have headphones in, like that I'm just hearing, like people that are on the way to work, people that are um, from a different part of the country or the world. Um, but the most interesting discussions that I overheard were from the locals, right? from the kind of, what do we call them, Bostonians or whatever, local New Englanders. Um, and, and admittedly, it's because they're talking about Jesus. And so like my ears perked up. And they kept using this phrase, it was so interesting, they kept using this phrase, if you love Jesus, you fill in the blank. If you love Jesus, you go to church, right? If you love Jesus, you um, give and you serve other people. If you love Jesus, you do this kind of thing and you don't do that thing. If you love Jesus, you like follow this moral commandment or this ethical teaching. And now we know that's partially true, right? Because Jesus in the scriptures, he says, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments, right? You will obey my commandments. But it was interesting, they kept missing like the main thing. Like the, the thing that undergirds all of that, right? They kept missing the main thing. If, you're, if you love Jesus, if, if you're a Christian, it's not because you go to church and it's not because you follow the rules. If you love Jesus, it's because Jesus loved you first. If you love Jesus, it's because Jesus loved you first. It's because he loves you and he's changed you through that love and that's the reason you love Jesus, you aren't changed by doing certain things and not doing certain things, ultimately. If you love Jesus, it's because, and, and we see this in our story with Jacob, in, in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense, if you love Jesus, it's because God has wrestled you and God has won. When you, Christian, when you wrestle God, and this is what I mean when I say when you wrestle with God, what I mean when I say you wrestle with God is that um, maybe you even kind of believe this claim that, that God is Lord and God is Savior. Maybe you believe the teachings of Jesus and you believe that Jesus has um, lived the perfect life and um, died for your sin and rose on your behalf. Maybe you believe those things, but when I mean, what I mean when I say you wrestle with God is that you believe those things, but you fail to submit to his plans. And you believe those things, but you fail to realize that your life because of that, is not your own. And so you're wrestling with God. In one way or another, God's going to win. And so today, today, as we look at this story with Jacob, um, that, that's kind of our main point, our big takeaway. That's what we see in the life of Jacob at this particular point in this particular passage, is that when you wrestle with God, God wins. When you wrestle with God, God wins. In other words, Christian Know that no matter how hard you try, God, out of his great love for you and his great plans for you and his great purposes for you, he does these things and wrestles you for your own good. And he invites you into those things. And there's an easy way to do it and a hard way to do it. And we see that in the life of Jacob. We see what it looks like to do things kind of the hard way. And so we'll look at three different things. Um, we're in chapters 32 and 33. We just read a small section of it because it's a very long passage and Amanda would still be reading um, right now if we did that whole thing. Uh, so we'll divide it up into three parts. These aren't three points. They're just kind of three parts of the story to just kind of help us get some handles on where are we in the story and where are we in the sermon. So first we'll look at the coming crisis, which is essentially all of chapter 32 up until verse 22, which is what we read. Um, then we'll look at the wrestling with God, um, verses 22 to 32. 
and then we'll look at the results or kind of the reconciliation that comes out of that, which is chapter 33. So the coming crisis, the wrestling, the results. So a little bit of backstory is helpful, um, especially because we didn't read chapter 32 um, and even a little bit before that. So just kind of bear with me because we're going to summarize some stuff for a few minutes. Um, Jacob's life up to this point, if you've been with us the past few weeks, it's, it's one of like a lot of trickery, right? A lot of kind of deception. Um, he's, he's not too far off. He's not as evil as these people per se, but he's not too far off from like a con artist who like you see him doing kind of like evil things, but you're a little bit, like, that's kind of impressive. Like, all the thought you put into that and all the planning and all the scheming or uh, maybe the equivalent of, like, a brilliant kind of criminal mastermind that you see on this show that, man, this person's terrible, but their, their ingenuity is a little, it's a little gripping, right? It's a little bit, like, they're, they're really smart. Jacob's not too far from that. He's not, like, that outwardly evil, but he's that smart and he's, like, that strategically deceptive. And we see this in his life up to this point. And the person who's been on the receiving end of that deception, that trickery the most, is probably his brother Esau. Right? Jacob um, tricked Esau into giving up his birthright, if you remember that, weeks and weeks and weeks ago, which is basically the equivalent of giving up a lot of future wealth and giving up a lot of, um, just like the ability to be kind of the leader, the head of the family. Um, he also uh, tricks Isaac, his father, into blessing him instead of Esau. And Esau was the one who deserved this blessing, and so he, he took that blessing from Esau. And so obviously Esau's mad. If you remember chapters ago, Esau, after uh, uh, Jacob steals the, the blessing, it says that he wants to kill him, like literally physically kill him. Not just like, I'm going to kill my brother, but like, I, I want to like strangle you. And so um, Jacob leaves to get away from this. He flees from his, his brother Esau, and he finds his way to a man named Laban and serves Laban for f- uh, seven years to, to marry one of his daughters, and really long story short, marries a different daughter and then serves him seven more years to marry the daughter that he originally wanted to marry. Um, and uh, eventually Jacob wants to leave Laban, right? He wants to kind of get out of this situation and he wants to kind of claim the things that are his, his wives, his children, his, his wealth, his livestock, livestock. And long story short, eventually leaves and not without, um, not without being a little more deceptive towards Laban, which to his credit, Laban's also really deceptive towards him. Um, and so he leaves Laban and eventually starts to head back home, back to Esau. And that's where our passage picks up. That's all the things that have happened before that led Jacob to this point in time. And so, I don't know if anyone in the room has like, ever had someone that like, literally wanted to, to kill you, that, that genuinely wanted to kill you. Someone, all right. You all right, man? You good? We can talk after. Uh, so maybe you know what this is like. But if someone literally wants to kill you, when you're on your way to see them for the first time, since that desire was expressed, surely that's going to be on your mind, right? You're like, oh, man. This person, last time I talked to him, last time I heard from him, like, he wanted to, he wanted to actually kill me. Like, there's some, there's, you probably put some thought into that, and there's some fear in that, right? And so um, Jacob, as he's heading back, he sends messengers ahead of him to Esau to kind of get ahead of this, right? He sends messengers ahead and kind of essentially says, hey, bro, I've been with Laban all these years. Remember that one thing I did to you way back when? Can we just let bygones be bygones? Can, can this just be water under the bridge? And um, can we just kind of drop it? Here's some like gifts and some, some wealth to like help you think about it a little bit. Uh, and can we just kind of like get over this? And the messengers, they come back and they say, Esau's on his way to meet you with 400 men. 
AKA Esau is on his way to meet you and he has a huge fighting force is how he would have heard that. And the text goes out of the way to say that, that Jacob, trickster Jacob, always gets out of it. Jacob is greatly stressed and greatly afraid. And what does he do with that? Well, he does what he's always done. He tries to kind of figure it out himself with his strategic, uh, deceptive, tricky thinking. Right, he, he splits his camp into two just so if, if, if one uh, side of his camp gets attacked, the other can get away. He sends wave after wave after wave of gifts, which would not only maybe like flatter Esau, but also slow him down. And like some of the, 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 the 400 men that he's bringing with him would maybe have to like tend to the cattle and the gifts and things like that. So he's trying to dwindle his force down. Another kind of strategic, tricky thing. He tries to get out of it, right? He tries to trickster his way out of it. But eventually... Eventually, Jacob finds that he's at the end of himself. Right? Maybe for the first time in his life, it seems like he's all out of options. Nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to turn. After all is said and done, the text notes that he's all alone. Right? Almost like the calm before the storm. Verse 24, it says, and Jacob was alone. And that's right where God meets him. That's right where God wanted him. The timing of God meeting with Jacob should not be lost on us. That's very intentional. Right? Because some of us here, we're, we're at the end of our ropes too. Right? We have certain situations and things going on in life and we think we are, we are all out of options. Right? Whether it's just the, the stresses of everyday life and you think, I can't make it another day living life the way that I am. Or uh, work is inescapable and just sucking uh, the soul out of me. Or uh, this marriage is absolutely failing. Or I am just like completely tired of not having a single friend in this city. I am all out of options. I am at the end of myself. But sometimes God orchestrates things like that so that he can show himself to you in those moments of desperation. God wants to meet you there, and he does. He doesn't just meet you. He'll show you what you needed to see all along. He'll show you that what you needed is not stress relief. What you've needed is not a new marriage or necessarily a new job, but rather what you've actually needed and what you've actually been wrestling with and struggling with has been God all along which you've actually been avoiding and not submitting to and not seeing things through the proper lens is actually God himself. And he wants to teach you, he wants to show you exactly what he taught and what he showed Jacob. That's the coming crisis. This is the point we are at right now in verse 22 when Jacob wrestles God. And by looking at Jacob's interaction with wrestling, we can see and learn some things too. So that's the coming crisis Right? It seems Jacob is out of options. And death and destruction is approaching via Esau. And then God intervenes and he wrestles God. Look at verses 22 through 32. What's, what's cool about this encounter is it's a lot more personal than anything else we've probably seen in the Old Testament so far. In terms of like God and man. Maybe even more personal than anything in the New Testament. I can't recall any passages about Jesus wrestling someone. Maybe it happened, I don't know. And while the actual content of what happens is, is really important, and like that's obviously the most gravitating part of this passage, um, the, the moment where God physically wrestles Jacob, uh, it's what happens afterwards that actually makes this meaningful. Because Jacob changes. 
after this encounter. Why, why is that important? Well, when you think about it, people encounter God every day. In some way, shape, or form, people encounter God every day, whether it's through nature, through the vastness of the universe, or receiving love and care from someone, or um, serving another person. Um, they encounter God every day. I'm not saying those things are God, not like some sort of like pantheism, but like they encounter the living God in some way. But they're not changed. Right? Even uh, the life of Jesus, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people that came face to face with God in the flesh and heard the words of Jesus and they didn't believe him. And they didn't follow him. Back in his day and, and maybe even more so now. Right? People encounter God every day and are not changed. And so the difference between uh, the, the people that encounter God that, uh, and, and don't experience some sort of change and the difference between uh, Christians is that, or Jacob in our particular story, um, is that they go from a place of not depending on God to depending on God. From striving against God to striving with God. For being uh, simply religious to being um, someone who has a personal relationship. Right? Or to use your mission statement, from being either religious or irreligious to being a gospel person. Which when we say gospel person, we mean someone that has a personal relationship with the living God because of what Jesus has done. And so the question in front of us is not have we encountered God, but rather have we encountered God and been changed? Have we encountered God and been so enthralled and so captured and so humbled by his beauty and his grace and his mercy and the things that he gives us that it has changed us? Has that happened in your life? That's the question. And now again, just to clarify, I'm not, I'm not saying it's the, the change is, is what saves us. It's the saving that changes us, right? Change doesn't lead to salvation. Salvation leads to change. I think about my own story in that regard. Like I, I think um, as I was reflecting on this passage and, and particularly reflecting on just a few years around college, uh, the, uh, my freshman year of college, when that's when I was saved, um, I, f- I found a lot of similarity between kind of where Jacob was at and kind of where I was, was at. Right, I, I wasn't too far off from him. I was, I was somewhat religious, went to church, had some sort of spiritual rhythms, maybe even read the Bible and maybe even prayed. And, and maybe I even had saving faith at that point, but I was still wrestling with God in the sense that I might have believed those things and done those things, but I had not submitted my life, my desires, my preferences, and what I wanted to do and my plans to God. It's almost like I will grasp onto you for eternity and put my hope in that, which is true and good, we ought to do that, but it has no bearing on my life right now because I want to live the way I want to. And so I lived my life the way I wanted to. Then one weekend, freshman year, I was kind of like a mini vacation of, of sorts. Long story short, I met Jesus in a very real way. And I encountered God in a way I had not before. And I was changed. I remember I went back from that vacation. I didn't want to do the same things I did. I didn't want to kind of dabble in the same sins I was dabbling in. I, didn't, I, I wanted to live a life that glorified God and was in submittal to his plans and his purposes for my life. And so as we consider Jacob and how God changed him in this encounter, let's ask the question, how did Jacob change? How did God change Jacob in this? And maybe you hear, you say, I've encountered God, but I feel like I haven't changed. Here are four things that you can think about 
Again, knowing that it's ultimately God that changes these things in you and not you yourself. Four ways that Jacob changes, four things that Jacob kind of realizes that God shows him. First, he realizes that the things he has are from God alone and he's not worthy of those things. The things he has are from God alone and he's not worthy of those things. This is actually before he wrestles God. Um, It's actually in the prayer um, beforehand. In verse 10, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you have shown your servant. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you have shown your servant. Another translation says, I am not worthy of your mercy. I am not worthy of your mercy. I am not worthy of the things you have given me. I am not worthy of eternal life with you. I am not worthy to be in your presence. And so Jacob realizes, and maybe you who have been wrestling with God and not submitting to him realizes too, that all the things that you have, all the good and even all the bad, it's from God and for your good and for his good and for his plans and his purposes, not yours. Remember, Jacob's been a deceptive trickster up to this point, but he still has a family that loves him and he loves them. He still has wealth, he still has children, he still has all these things, he still has a great amount of blessings. And his, his wealth is p- pretty large at this point, like he might start to think like maybe he's worth something a little bit, maybe he's like a little someone. But in a moment, God peels it back and, and, and Jacob realizes, I'm nothing, and this is all from God. And maybe that's a word that some of us need today. Or maybe you've, You've made a name for yourself, whether it's in business or academics or creating a family or whatever accolades you come in with. Let's be honest, we live in a city where where people tend to kind of rack up the accolades. That's the mindset here a little bit, right? Realize that, that you aren't worthy of those things and God has gifted them to you so that you can use them for his good, not your own. For his glory, not your own. For his kingdom advancement, not your own. And how many of us view the things we have like that? How many of us view our job as entirely God's? How many of us have prayed before business decisions or work decisions? I would argue probably not often enough, right? God in his kindness and love has given these things to you to use for him. The second thing that Jacob realizes is that he was a man who had wrestled with everyone and everything in his life, but he never understood who he was truly wrestling with. Jacob was a man who wrestled with everyone and everything in his life, but he never understood who he was truly wrestling with. So going all the way back to when he was in the womb, if you remember, I think it was chapter 25 or 27, it talks about Jacob and Esau in the womb together, and it says they were striving against each other. In other words, they're, they're kind of like wrestling in the womb together. And that's a theme that carried on for the rest of Jacob's life with Esau, right? From stealing the birthright to to stealing the blessing. He's wrestling with Esau, so he thinks. But in this moment, Jacob pulls back, or God pulls back the veil on his heart and on his circumstances and says, you've been wrestling with the wrong things. You, You think, you think you're wrestling with Esau for a birthright, but really you're wrestling with me trying to circumvent my plans, You think you wrestled with the blessing of your father Isaac, but really you long for the blessing from your heavenly father. Like, just look at the way he so desperately wants God to bless him as they're wrestling. Right? He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. What a powerful moment. 
I, I think Jacob, uh, this is going a little bit beyond what's in the passage, but I think Jacob has this moment where he realizes, I've been seeking blessings from other people and other things, and now that I'm face-to-face with God, all I want is your blessing. He realizes that. Hosea, another book of the Bible, talks about this encounter briefly, and it says that Jacob wept. I'm just imagining Jacob in a weak moment, humbled, grasping onto God, weeping, saying, God, do not go until you bless me. He realizes he's not been wrestling with his circumstances. He's not been wrestling with the people in his life. He's been wrestling with God. And he's been avoiding God, and he hasn't been submitting to God and his plans. And he realizes it. And how many of us, if we step back, we look at the things going on in our lives, whether it's a certain circumstance or what have you, if, if we were really honest with ourselves, we really thought about it, we would maybe realize we are wrestling with God and his purposes underneath these things. Right, that, that coworker who's annoying and, and, and doesn't pull their weight and is maybe weird and your first reaction when you see them in the hall is to go back into your office or to avoid. You think you're wrestling with them, but what if God through you is trying to reach them? What if God through you is trying to bring them into relationship with himself? And so behind the wrestling you think you're doing with this annoying coworker, you're actually wrestling with God who has a plan for them that might involve you. Right, or, or maybe you've been coming here for a year or years and, and, and the constant thought is community groups, they're great for people who love them or just community in general is great for people who need it but like I don't have time, I don't need that right now. You're not wrestling with community there. You're wrestling with God's call in your life to be in community with brothers and sisters in Christ. At the end of the day, what God is saying to Jacob and what God is saying to us is that the things you think you're wrestling with that are going on in your life, you're actually wrestling with me and the things I want to do through your life. God says you're not wrestling with that coworker. You're wrestling with me and my plans. You're not wrestling with being involved in community or serving the community. You're wrestling with me as I try to straighten out your priorities. Remember, when we wrestle with God, God always wins. So again, we can take the easy way or the hard way with that. And the hard way, it often involves a wound. Often involves a wound. And we see this in the wrestling of Jacob and God. The third way that Jacob changes, or again, more accurately, God uses to bring about change is a wound. And it's not the wound itself, but rather it's, it's what the wound kind of forces him to do. And that is to entirely, completely, wholly depend upon God. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. Now, to be clear, this, this language of, like, God could not prevail against Jacob, what that's not saying is that Jacob literally overpowered God or that God was just actually, for some reason, incapable of overpowering him. But rather, what it actually is saying is that Jacob was so stubborn that God had to go to extremely great lengths to make him, uh, to, to, to wrestle him. Extremely great lengths. And so he dislocates his hip. Right? And, and there's a great irony here, too. Like, all the people and things that, that Jacob is afraid of, yet the one thing he doesn't seem afraid of is, is God to some extent. And he realizes in a moment that God seems to be the only one that can actually harm him in this time. And he does. 
and it's for a reason. Because after that, his dependence shifted right from himself to God. Because now that his hip is dislocated and, and he's coming into confrontation with Esau, he can't run. He can't fight. He limps into what could be the final moments of his life. But there, it's in a place where he is for the first time, maybe ever, in complete dependence on God because he says, I, I am physically disabled right now. I am limping. I have tried worked through all my options. I, nothing left. God alone. God, you are my only hope in this situation. And interestingly, too, he goes out in front of everyone else, in front of all the servants, his family, all these things, and he confronts Esau first. And now you might think that's no big deal, but if you remember Jacob, that, that doesn't really line up with who Jacob is or who Jacob was before, right? He goes out with deep courage and deep, deep dependence on God to be the one who saves him. Something has happened. Jacob has changed. Right? He's had an encounter with God, and God made him realize that he wasn't being the person he was supposed to be. God wrestled Jacob, and God won. And Jacob realized, I've been doing this the hard way all my life. The fourth and, and final way we'll look at for how Jacob has changed is that God gives him a new name and new identity. God gives him a new name and a new identity. Look at verses 26 through 28 again. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Now, as, as a side note, there's, there's some debate, like, is Jacob actually wrestling like, like God, like God himself? Is he wrestling like a divinely enabled being or uh, like, like a man or an angel or something like that. Um, we aren't entirely sure, but what's very clear is that God is entirely behind it to the point that it goes out of the way to show the point that, that in some way Jacob is wrestling God. And it's, it's abundantly clear too when this, this person, this, this God renames him, right? Because God's the name changer in the Old Testament. Which, side note, makes it all the more crazy when Jesus renames people in the New Testament. Right, that's not just like a part of Jesus' teaching. Like that's Jesus making a claim there. Just as God the Father in the Old Testament has renamed people, so I now, you, God the Son, rename you in the same way. And so God says, you're no longer Jacob. Which if you remember, his name translates as supplanter, or kind of one who circumvents or one who tricks. Which makes sense when you look at his life. But rather now his name is Israel which means strives with God. So both in a symbolic sense and, and just a very real sense, Jacob encountered God and realizes these things and he was changed, completely changed. He came to the end of himself. He ran out of options. He thought he was gonna face the ultimate test of Esau. He thought he was gonna meet his end from Esau. But instead, God says, it's me you've been avoiding, not Esau. It's me you haven't been listening to. It's my plans you have been ignoring and trying to get around. Notice too, we're not diving too deeply into chapter 33, but one of the results of this change in Jacob's life is, is, is that um, God brings forth these changes and no longer is Jacob wrestling with God in the same way, but he's no longer wrestling with Esau in the same way after they, they have their confrontation, if you could even call it that. 
right? They, they, it seems to be that the desire for things to be water under the bridge is, is achieved. Jacob and Esau embrace. They weep together. And so what this also means is that when you stop wrestling with God and let him have his way, he also brings healing and restoration to other parts of your life. Potentially other relationships too. That's what chapter 33 is all about. Because of what God has done in the heart and life of Jacob, Jacob approaches Esau with a posture of humility. If you, if you, if you look at the, the chapter, um, Jacob keeps calling Esau uh, Lord or Master. He keeps calling himself Servant. If you remember way, way, way prior, it was said that, that Esau would be the one that is Lord over Jacob. Or sorry, Jacob was going to be the one that was Lord over Esau. But Jacob approaches with humility. So as we close, as we think about these things, one thing that's kind of hidden in this text that actually doesn't get talked a lot about is the great lengths to which God will go for Jacob. God, God loves Jacob. Despite his flaws, despite his, his sins and his deceptive ways, God loves him enough that he wrestled him and he wounded him and it was a wound of great love. And so as you read this, don't forget the great lengths to which God has gone for you. And don't forget the deep love that God has for you. Right? He loves you enough to wrestle you. He loves you enough to wound you if he has to. And just as God wrestled Jacob thousands and thousands of years ago, later, thousands of years later, he came down as a man. He wrestled your sin. He pinned your sin to the cross. He took on an eternal wound on your behalf so that you might know and love and serve and be in relationship with God. And he offers us the easy way and the hard way. The easy way is to submitting is submitting to God not just as savior but as lord of your life. He's the one that calls the shots. He's the one that directs your plans. It's not to say that if you choose this easy way that your life is then easy or that bad things or hard things don't happen to you. But the hard way is the opposite of that. You continue to avoid God's call in your life and continue to wrestle him in opposition to the plans he has for you, in opposition to the ways he wants to change you. You can keep wrestling, but remember, when you wrestle God, God always wins one way or another. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful that you are a wrestling God, that you don't just let us um, lead ourselves to our own demise, but God, you desire us to turn towards you and be with you and walk with you and submit to your plans and your purposes and your good. And so God, I pray for everyone in this room that whatever they're wrestling with in life, various circumstances, that they would see underneath it all, they are wrestling with you and how you want them to handle certain situations and um, how you want them to act and behave towards others, God. Help us to see your good and your glory in these things. You know, you pray and ask these things. Amen.